Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I guess I'm stuck. I just have one theme to preach about. Paul talked about it when he said, I come to you and I only, just only one thing I wanted to do was, was deliver to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't have a whole bunch of other stuff. However, he did write back to the churches with certain information and understanding and correction and all the things, you know, that go on in church. But, but he knew this. The primary thing that we could possibly preach to you that's going to help your life is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everything else is secondary. Can you say amen? So there is, there's time to talk about a lot of different issues and things. And we do that. A lot of times brothers just get together and we'll, we'll discuss things. That's good. We'll teach different things, but we always want to bring Jesus first. Amen. He's first. Seek first. Seek first the Lord. Love Him first. All your heart, your mind, your soul, strength. And so that's what we intend to do every time we come to the pulpit. We may take different directions to get there, kind of some different, different ways, but we always center on the Lord Jesus. So I want to take you this morning to another place that we'd like to just talk about the Lord in. You would go to the book of Mark with me. I've got a few scriptures to read here this morning, kind of set up uh, a thought. Uh, Mark, the fourth chapter, the last verse, the fourth chapter, the 41st uh, verse. And they feared a great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you just go over just a couple of pages, I want to go to the sixth chapter and then uh, pick up the uh, first three verses in the sixth chapter. And he went out from there and he came to his hometown or native place. and His disciples followed him. And a Sabbath occurring, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many were amazed, and hearing many were amazed, saying, from where came these things to this one? And what is this, the wisdom given to him, that even such works of power come about through his hands? <clears throat> and verse 3, is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended in him. They were offended in him. I want to read uh, out of Matthew, so we'll have to go backwards. I usually try and get them in, in order so we don't go back in our Bible. But we can't go back to Matthew, the 8th chapter. And we want to read the 27th verse in the 8th chapter. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I have to pick up one more verse, John 14. Seldom stray out of the book of John. 
too far. And uh, so I want to go to the 14th chapter, read a very familiar verse. It is the ninth verse. And Jesus said to him, Am I so long a time with you, and you have not known me, Philip? Lord, we just ask you now, at the breaking open of your word, things that happened so long ago. But they are absolutely current and relevant for us. 2,000 years ago, but current. Update for today. We ask you now, Lord, that you just stir our hearts in your word, that you touch us, that we'll see you even closer. Our relationship to you, Lord, will become even more dear, more close beside you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 I believe the King James says it this way. What manner of man is this? That the winds and the seas obey him. If you were on this boat, the Lord is laying sleeping. The winds are contrary. The amazing thing about the Sea of Galilee, you know, we've talked about it several times, but the Sea of Galilee was usually rather calm. But at times when they would get out on the Sea of Galilee, the winds would hit. Now, I don't know about lakes and fishing here, but I've talked to Charlie about this and have been warned that if you get up on Uluga Lake, that you need to be careful the winds start blowing. It can capsize your boat. Now, I don't know if that's happened, if that's true, but they say it's something that you need to watch. You can go out there and it'll be nice. And there are no waves, no winds. And then suddenly, you know, out here the wind will just start blowing. And it starts blowing, and it can develop uh, rough seas out there. This is exactly what happened on the Sea of Galilee. They would go out. It would be calm. It would be still. Uh, they're fishing. They're doing whatever. And then all of a sudden, wind would come down, whip, start whipping down through that valley and whip up a, a, a storm. Upon that lake. And this is what had happened. Jesus is laying down. Now, the thing we got to notice about him is that he is fully man. Can you say man? He needs sleep. Every man needs sleep. Some men need a lot of sleep. I like a lot of sleep. Don't always get it, but uh, we need rest in our body. You can't work hard unless you rest. You can't, you know, stay up about two nights, don't, don't get any sleep, and you're going to find out. Everybody needs sleep. And so the Lord is laying down. He's tired. He's been ministering. He has, his body uh, is exhausted uh, as virtue is, is going out of his body as he's healing and, and ministering and teaching. And now, and now he tells them, go to the other side, and I'm just going to rest while we take this trip. And I don't know how you are in, I'm not on a boat much, but in a car, I can, uh, well, when I was a kid, boy, we just slept, just real good. Some of you have children that sleep real good in the car. We knew a family that would have to put the child in the car and take him somewhere in order for him to go to sleep. 
And that was a challenge for him, but drive around, drive around, and then finally he'd go to sleep. I noticed my little guy yesterday, uh, little Hudson, he had been playing his heart out out at the football game and just running, yelling, pushing, all the things that kids do. And he gets in that back seat, and all of a sudden we start driving down the road, and he gets comfortable and goes to sleep. Well, Jesus, tired, weary, lays down. He's a man, needs rest, needs sleep. He's asleep. And the wind comes up. I don't think it's the devil that causes a wind in our life. No. No, I don't think the devil trying to kill Jesus. That's, that's not possible. Not, co- not possible for the devil to take the Lord out before his time. This is not going to happen. I don't think the enemy controls that. There's something higher that controls that. Can you say amen? The wind comes up, but that wind is not for him. It's for them. The Lord, and and I know there's a lot of songs wrote about this. The Lord's in your boat. You're going to be okay, even if the wind is blowing, right? And storms, which we never expected. Everything was so calm in our life. And that's when a storm comes up. Just about the time you feel like everything's going real good. Can anybody here witness to that? Say, Lord, finally, everything is just in place. Boy, this really feels good. We're going along and, and everything's nice. Everything's good in the, in the home. Everything's good on a job. And, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes a storm in our life. Well, I want you to know this. I don't believe the devil's controlling my life. I have another father. His name is Yeshua Jesus. And so when a storm comes, I have to see it as, yes, it's tough. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it can, it can cause us to fear. But there's somebody on my boat that has the power to control all storms in my life. And so this wind is blowing, the boat is, is rocking, and it says that it's already full of water. You know the boat can take on so much water, but they have bilge pumps now in the the modern boats where they pump it out as it comes in. (laughs) And uh, a boat can take on a certain amount of water, but when it gets too much water, now it will become heavy laden and it will begin to list. And the water will rush in and they're afraid that this boat is going down. It doesn't say how big the boat is, but it's big and it's not a little fisherman boat, you know, where the little, little John boat. He's, he's up in the front of this thing, and he's laying down, and, and so it's, it's, a good size, it's a good sized boat of some kind, and now they are afraid. They are afraid, and awakening him, they say to him, this is something really strange, don't you even care that we perish? Have you ever felt that way? I would really get on to them if I had never felt that way myself. I'm in a storm, and I don't know, even know where you're at, Lord. I know you're asleep on the boat, but I can't even find you. They rush to the Lord, waking him up. Lord, we are perishing. You've got to help us. And so the Lord just stands up, and he says, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves, just like they came up, the winds and the waves went back down. And it's amazing. God's done that in my life so many times, and I know for you all, everybody here has been in a storm. There is not one person here 
that hasn't been in a storm in their life. But when we finally figure out that really we can't control the storm, really it isn't about us, it's about the Lord doing something in our life, and we turn it to Him. When we finally realize, God, it's either you, I'm going down if you don't intervene, but let me tell you this, God has intervened for everybody in this place. So none of us have gone down. We, we've maintained. Can you say amen? Now, if I'm on that boat, I think I'm going to begin to have the same questions that these men had. It's astounding that he can get up out of sleep and just say, peace be still. That amazes me that he can do it, even though he's done that in my life before and he's done it in your life before. The next storm that I get into, I forget that he can say, peace be still. And I'm all down again and I'm all worried and I'm frightened and afraid and what are we going to do? We're going down and, and it's the Lord again that comes out and says, peace be still. It's always going to be him. But this, this really um, shocks them in a way that now they begin to have some questions, and I want to talk about this. What manner of man is this? doesn't really reflect exactly what the Greek says. The Greek says, where did this one come from? They're taking it beyond humanity now. I know we've got a lot of stuff about superheroes out there and making a lot of movies and different things about super. When I was a kid, it was just like Superman. And maybe, I don't know if they had Spider-Man or something, but Superman, everybody, the kids have played Superman. And Superman, he was a man, but, you know, he had some other connections, you know. Well, that's, that's kind of what they're seeing here. Where, where does he come from? And it's a great question because what they had just witnessed that this rabbi that they're following, Yeshua Jesus, he's not an ordinary rabbi. See, they've been around rabbis, but they've never seen anything like this. And so the question is, where is he? Is he from outer space? Is he like an alien? I mean, they are in shock. You don't just see somebody stand up and say, peace, be still, and the storm quits. They've never heard of anything like this before. And so to them, maybe he's from the outside. Well, he's not an alien, but he's not of this world. In John the 8th chapter, he will tell them and the people that come to question him, you're from beneath and I'm from above. And it's going to be hard for them to receive this concept because they see him as a man. They see him laying there. So he is man, but, but what else is he? What kind of a man is this? Where does he come from? Oh, I came forth out of from within God. So what you're seeing, it looks like flesh. What you're seeing laying in the boat is a man resting. And what you see on the exterior out of me you're seeing flesh, but let us remember this. The body is only the container for the person that lives inside. The world teaches opposite of this. The world teaches that your flesh is what we're after, that it's all about this feelings of the flesh. 
But I want you to know that the man inside of you is not about the feeling of the flesh. There's something deeper. There is a spirit inside of you. There's something that goes deeper than what you feel on the outside, what comforts you, what makes you feel good. There is a man that's living, a woman that is living inside of a body that you wear. And what is the real? What's more real? The exterior or the interior of you? And we're going to live in this exterior. We do not lose it. You can come down to the altar and you can pray and you can get saved. You can get born again. But when you get back up, you're still housed in a body. And that man and that body... He's going to want to do what he wants to do. That physical man has a mind of his. But what is more real? Let me tell you what is more real than your exterior body. Paul said it this way. If we lay this body aside, if we're absent from this body, you don't change. The person inside of you does not change. It goes to another body. But we are with the Lord then. We are in a heavenly place, in a heavenly body with the Lord in this old exterior lays down. There's a lot of things taught about heaven that that you're just going to have this same old body and and uh, we're going to know you because of how we know each other in the flesh. But I'm not so sure that you're going to have this body. This body is going to lay down. But he has prepared a better body for you in heaven. Can you say amen? And what's inside of you, and we think, you know, The strong man is the human man. He's the strong man. Jesus said this, they were in prayer. He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is running your life. Beware when the flesh runs your life. It's not going to look good. We have to bind the strong man. Can you say amen? Jesus said it this way, if you want to follow after me, you're going to deny, you're going to die. You're go- Every day you are going to either desire to die and deny or you're going to live in the flesh. So when they see the Lord, <coughs> what they see on the exterior, and there's a lot of people chasing the exterior of the Lord. They're looking for what is on the outside. They're looking for how he looked. Uh, what he did, what he wore. Maybe we can be like Jesus that way. But really, the fullness of the godness dwelled in him bodily. God made a temple. God made a body on the earth to dwell in. And that body was full of God. It was full of the godness, the deity that lays inside of him is greater than that which is on the outside. He tries to explain this to Nicodemus when he says that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. His flesh is going to hurt. His flesh is going gonna, is gonna to hunger. It's going to need sleep. It's going to need water. His flesh is going to the cross, but his spirit is so much stronger. The spirit that is in him raises him from the dead. So when we seek the Lord only exteriorly, there's a great confusion about who he is. To further complicate this question for them, and this is sometime later, but I don't know which happened first. 
but he takes his disciples home. For the purpose of meeting his family. When they get there, they see mama's there. There's brothers. We named them off, read them off. There's four of them. And his sisters. Doesn't give us the name of the sisters. We don't know his sisters. We know that his brothers were in the early church. We believe that James was the... uh, he was the overseer of the church of Jerusalem. Herod killed him with a sword. Um, we know that the Lord's brothers were, in fact, involved in the things after Christ died. They didn't believe him at first, but, but now he goes home. Where's Joseph? Where's Joseph? It doesn't name Joseph. And what's interesting about this is that I believe Joseph is deceased at this time. I believe he died uh, And the only reason that I can find with this is that you'll never hear of him again. It's his mother and his brother and sisters that come to his meeting a couple of times. It's his mother that's there at the cross. We don't see Joseph at all. Joseph's out of the picture. And so they say this. They say, where does he get all of this power and wisdom? And with his hands, he heals people. Interesting, and this just a kind of a side thought. Most of the time, the Lord did not pray for them. He put his hands on them and healed them. The power that was in him, the virtue that was in him, just literally healed their bodies. Now, there were times when I remember him praying over a blind man. And that blind man saw him in his trees walking, and then he prayed for him and spit in his eyes. But most of the time, the Lord just put his hands on him. Out of him was such power. Out of him was such authority. that He didn't need to do a lot of antics. He, just, he was just full of what God had. The, the fullness of God was in him, and. And so he goes, where does he get this power? Where does he get this wisdom? Is he not the carpenter? See, his father Joseph had taught him a trade. Now, I want to take the offense this way this morning. I want to take the offense this way. I'm not so sure they're offended because he has wisdom and power and able to touch people's lives and heal. I'm not so sure that's why why they are offended at him. Because when they mention the carpenter thing, it gets me thinking. If Joseph is dead, the eldest son in the Jewish family has to take up the responsibility of the family. Jesus, you're out here. You're you're in Capernaum. You're here. You're there. You're everywhere now. Your mother, your brethren, and your sisters are with us. And where are you? I think that was the offense. Is that you've got a carpenter skill or artisan skill, and you're not using it. What you're doing is out there in ministry, and that offends us because you're supposed to be taking care of this family. But, but time out just for a minute. The Lord had already told Mary 18 years ago, I must be about my 
father's business was one not Joseph's business, but my father and Mary, you know who my father is. And when it comes time, he's going to go into his father's business. And that's more important than his stepfather's business. Can you say amen? Oh, yeah, he's a carpenter. He knows how to do those skills. But he has been trained not just to be a carpenter. He's been trained to be the Messiah of the world. And so he is about his father's business. So, again, it confuses the family a little. It confuses the disciples a little. They're not really sure just exactly. And so in Mark, I read this. Who then is this one? It says in the Greek. Who then is this one? In other words, who is this? We see him. We see his family now. We know he's a man. But this guy lays hands on the sick and they recover. This guy causes the blind to see and no one has ever heard of that before. This one causes the cripples to walk just by saying, take up your bed and walk. This doesn't sound like a normal rabbi to me. I don't think any of the rabbis, any of the other rabbis, were healing anybody. This one puts his hands on the lepers. And that is forbidden in the law that you would even come nearer, close to a leper. But he puts his hands on them. He's not afraid of COVID-19. Can you say amen? He's not afraid of HIV spreading. I can remember that and standing back and didn't know people. You know, we didn't want to get that. But I'm going to tell you this, that Jesus has all power over all that stuff. He's got power over disease. He's got power over leprosy. It doesn't hurt him at all to come face to face with any disease. Any contagious disease will not bother him because he is the rabbi that has power over the disease. Can you say amen? <coughs> this rabbi calls people out of the grave. He's not just like the rest of them. Now, we know he's a man. But who is this guy, really, when he can stand in front of a grave, the, a man that's been dead for four days, and say, Lazarus, you come out of there. Call him back from the dead. This rabbi, where is he from? Who is this? The report of him is that he speaks with authority. He's not like the rest of the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis who speak a little bit of the law, but they don't really have the authority of the law. This man wrote the law. This man knows the law. This man quotes the law, but he puts it in proper perspective for the people. This man speaks with authority, and when he speaks, everything listens to his voice. The elements are subject unto him. His first miracle. His first miracle in John 2. The water becomes unintoxicating wine. And I like to say that because people got that wrong. That wine didn't have time to ferment. And he's certainly not going to create something that's going to turn you into a drunk. But what he created was so beautiful 
the taste of that was better than any wine they had ever drank because he has power over the elements. He can walk on the water because he made the water. The human body would sink. The human body goes down, but there's something more about him than just human. I know that he's all human, but do I know that he's all God at the same time? He's got power that other rabbis don't have. There's something about him that other men don't look like. He's got power to forgive sins on the earth. I'm telling you what, you'll never get your sins forgiven by another rabbi. No other religion can forgive your sin. I want to stop here just for a moment because I want you to know that you've been freed from sin. You haven't just been forgiven, but you've been freed. You've been bought. You've been purchased. Sin no longer runs your life. Sin used to run your life. And you thought that you could control it. But sin was the power in your life. Let me tell you what the power in your life is now. The crucified Christ who bled and shed his blood for your sin defeated your sin. The power of sin was broken off your life. You're not a sinner anymore. You don't have to be a sinner anymore. Jesus broke the power of sin off of you. Because of that, we're free this morning. Can you say amen? We are free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not any different than any other man. I needed the, the, the power of sin broken over my life. And Jesus did that. What a wonderful rabbi this. Who is? Who is this man? Nicodemus said it this way. Rabbi, we know that you have come as a teacher from God. Nicodemus believes he's a rabbi and a good one and a teacher. For no one is able to do these miracles you do except God be with him. Now, that's a perspective of the flesh, that God is with him. Do you know the word, they shall call him Emmanuel? Does everybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us? And so Nicodemus' view is a lot like a lot of views today. He's a teacher, he's a rabbi, and God is with him. No, that's not enough. Emmanuel means not God with him, with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Not in the sense of alongside Christ, not in the sense of being in the area of Christ, but very God himself. Emmanuel, God is with Nicodemus is seen from the flesh, and that's why Jesus is trying to explain to him the new birth. He's trying to explain to him the difference between flesh and blood and spirit. He's not, oh, why are you calling me good? There is none good but God. Who is this man anyway? He's good. He's a rabbi. Hey, God is with him. That's not quite enough. And may I say to you this morning, the greatest ploy against your life, everybody listen to me really close right here. The greatest ploy against your life is to demean Jesus and bring him down to something he is not. The greatest ploy against you is not 
money, it's not things, it's not temptation. The greatest ploy against you is not the devil. The greatest ploy against you is to dumb you down to who Jesus is. It's the battle of the church. We know who the devil is. We can identify him real quick, right? We know he comes with his evil and comes with his temptation powers and tries to destroy us and ruin our homes, ruin our families, ruin our life. We, we understand him. <coughs> we even understand the battle of the flesh. I pray every day. I hope you pray this prayer. Everybody pray the Lord's Prayer every day. The last part of it, leave me not in temptation because I know my biggest temptation my biggest temptation is to succumb to my flesh. And God, that's where I need to, you to keep me out of that area. Can you say amen? Lord, keep me out of the bars. Lord, keep me out of, you know, bad places. And No, no, no. I won't go in the bar unless my flesh takes over. You know, I won't succumb to the filthiness of this world unless my flesh takes over. So, Lord, leave me not in temptation, but deliver me. From evil. And how are you going to do that? By my flesh not taking my life over. If you can be dumped down to who Jesus is, you're going to have a really hard time living a victorious Christian life. Let's look at it this way. Some say he is just a teacher. Even a prophet. This is what Nicodemus said. You're a great teacher. You're a great teacher. But Nicodemus does not understand. Maybe at the cross, Nicodemus had a change of heart. Maybe when he saw what he saw happen at the crucifixion of Christ, his life changed a little bit. I believe it did. I believe he was in the early church. I believe he went to find the Lord then. But if you could be dumbed down to believe that he's just a teacher or just a prophet... You're going to lose the real identity of who Jesus is. If you can believe that he's just an ambassador sent from God. I've heard that message. I've heard that preached. That the world was in trouble so God looked around in heaven to find somebody who would go down and be an ambassador for him in the earth. That aligns better with the LDS church than it does with the scripture. God himself stepped out of heaven. He did not send an ambassador to do his work. The great I am stepped out of heaven. Can you say amen? The great Emmanuel, God with us, that one stepped out of heaven. And God became flesh and was manifested in flesh. But if they can get you to believe he's just an ambassador sent from heaven to help you and to bless you and to lead you salvation, it reminds me of the, the girl last week that was screaming with the python spirit, was screaming, these are men of God, they're going to show you the way of the Lord. She didn't know anything about salvation. If they can get you just to believe that he is only a sacrificial lamb for God's anger, I hate that message. 
that God was angry and he needed somebody to die. I know. I'll take it out on my son. I'll draw pleasure from seeing him beat and whipped and hanging on a cross, dying, bleeding, gasping for air. Now my anger is appeased. If you can believe that, they have dumbed down who Jesus is to you. If they can get you to believe that he's just the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and sure, all of the Old Testament prophecies, all 300 and something of them, lined up in Jesus, and he is that Messiah that was to come, if they can get you just to believe that he's just only the Messiah and leave him there, that he was a man that traveled in, in Jerusalem in and out of the people in Israel, and he did these works, and he was the Messiah. If they can get you to just believe that, they have dumbed you down to who Jesus really is. Let me take one step further. Is everybody with me so far? If they can get you to believe that he's just the son of God. Watch it now. Now I'm going to be, get out on some more thin ice. I do this occasionally. I get scooting out there on thin ice. <clears throat> if they can get you to believe that he's just the son of God. That he's just a, he's the second person of some Godhead out there somewhere. If they can leave you there, they have dumbed you down on who he is. I say amen right there. To regard him in any one of these manners alone is to reduce him in your life to less than what he is. Now let me tell you this. It's going to matter what you think about him to affect me. And I preached to you this morning. I've got the microphone and I'm talking. But I want you to know this. What I think about him is not going to affect you. It's going to have to be what you think about him. I can get up there and say all my stuff and go home and, and I'm fine and good and I've got all my thing together. But really, what do I think about him? What do you think about him? It's going to determine everything that happens in your life now and in your eternity. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he started it off with this. And I'm going to tell you what. This is so powerful I have to go back and read it occasionally. God spoke to us in the old time. He spoke to the fathers through the prophets. That's called an Old Testament covenant. But in these last days, he has spoke to us how? He has spoke to us in Son. And I said it properly, in Son. Your Bible is going to read in His Son. There is no possessive there. It is Son. God revealed Himself in Son. He revealed Himself in Father. He revealed Himself in Son. God spoke to us in the last days in Son. This is how He spoke to us. It's how he is speaking to us. He is not speaking to us in Father. He is not speaking to us in clouds. He's not speaking to us in fire. He is speaking to us in Son. And in that, he is appointed heir of all things. Wow. 
He is because of him and through him and by of him all the ages were made. And then it goes on to say, who being the radiance of the glory of God, he is the character of the essence of the very being of God. He upholds all things through the power of his word. And through himself, through himself, he has cleansed us from our sins. And he is set down at the place of majesty on high. I don't know who you think he is. He's not just a Messiah. He's not just a prophet rabbi. He is the king of all ages, of all glory, of all honor, all power, all dominion is about him. Can you say amen this morning? Wow. I'm not going to let anybody bring him down in my life. Now I want to finish up with the disciples. If you accumulate everything that these disciples had seen and heard, we know his ministry was at least around three years. We don't know specifically. Could have been a little more than that. But because of the feast that he went to, and it mentions in the, in the Scripture, they figure his ministry was three, three and a half years. Okay, I'll go with that. Could have been five. Could have been, we don't know. I read a thing where a guy said he was, he was like in his 60s before he got crucified. Well, that's, that's not, no. That's not going to work according to Scripture. But the point is his disciples had been with him. I worry about people who have been in church. And the Lord says, I come when my assembly gets together. And I worry about people who are there that are with him. But they don't know him. It worries me that after preaching the gospel, that we haven't presented the Jesus that you get to know. See, his disciples, and I think it breaks his heart. I think it breaks the Lord's heart. It's his last night. He's just trying to put into them, guys, man, don't be afraid. This, we're going to get through this. Don't, don't be troubled. We're, we'll, we'll make it. You believed in God? Believe in me. We're going to make it through this thing. And he begins to talk to him and just, just trying to impart to him this last night. And uh, Philip speaks up. Lord, he, I don't know if he raised his hand or Lord was talking. Maybe he raised his hand. Yes, Philip. Lord, show us the Father. And that will suffice us. We'll make it through then. We'll be able to do this. I know I, we don't understand everything here, but if you could show us the Father, I think we're going to be able to make it. Where does he ever, you know, where does he come up with this? How would you come up with that question? And uh, Jesus just simply says to this to Philip, Philip, 
How long have I been with you? And you do not know who I am. They hadn't figured it out yet. They were on the boat where he was sleeping, and they said, who is this? And they still don't have it figured out. Previously, two verses, three verses before this, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And, and they still just don't, don't get it. There's this old thing that says in church, everybody listen to this because I'm sure you've heard it. If we can just get in the presence of the Lord, we'll be changed. That is not the truth. We can have a service where people are falling out. The Lord just moving. I mean, in songs here this morning, we got to a place where if you didn't feel it, I don't know. That's your problem. But I felt, wow, the glory of the Lord is in this place. The presence of the Lord is here. But you will walk out of here unchanged. If you don't figure out who he is. The disciples for three years, three and a half, four years, whatever it was. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him cast out devils with his word. Just his word. They've seen him heal all manner of diseases, do miracle, multiply bread, walk on water, turn water into wine. I mean, there is nothing that they can compare him to. But they still don't get it. Let me tell you what has to happen to their life. The Lord has to go away from them in flesh and come back to them in spirit. They don't get his flesh. They don't get it. He could have ministered another 10 years with them. They're still not going to get it until the Spirit of God has birthed in a human heart you're not going to figure out who Jesus is. You can go to church all your life. You can sit there. You can sponsor the church, pay tithes, give help, all the things, the events, do everything and the, everything there is to do. But without His Spirit confirming in your heart who He is, you're not going to know Him. No wonder He said, I must go away. <laughs> he looks at Peter and says, Peter, when you're converted... Well, Peter thinks he's converted. What are you talking about? Lord, I've been walking with you. Just like people in the church have felt the presence of God. What are you talking about, Pastor? I've been in church all my life. Well, that's a good start. Jesus turns to, to them and says, Don't you know that when you see me, you see everything there is to see about God? Don't need to. I'm not going to show you another picture. No, I'm the way, remember? When you see me. And he says to them, you've seen the Father. You just didn't know it. And from here on, when you see me, you're going to see the progenitor Father of all things, God Almighty, working and moving. So I can encourage you this morning, if you can see Jesus, you're going to see all there is about God. You're going to see the goodness of God, the fullness of God, the blessing of God, the protection of God, the honor, the 
the, the privilege of being children of God. I said this last week. It was so good, I got to say it again. Jesus revealed his spirit when he was ministering in the flesh. And then he reveals his flesh ministering in his spirit. Because I want you to know that you're not going to get saved under the name Holy Spirit. You're not going to get saved on any other name. There is only one name given among men whereby you must be saved. And that is the name Yeshua Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And so he reveals. Things were hidden. Things they didn't know. The apostles didn't know. The disciples didn't know. Four years, they don't know. It's hidden to them. They can't quite get it. They love the Lord, but they just don't figure out and know who he is. He holds back his identity. He tells demons, do not say who I am. Because immediately they always say, we know who you are. And Jesus says to them, don't tell them. You shut up and come out of them. He tells people that great miracles happen. Don't spread it. And they do it anyway. They can't help but do it. Because his identity is not complete until he comes back in his spirit and shows us who he is by the power of his spirit. Then his identity comes complete before us. He no longer is trying to hide his identity. This is the good thing. He's not trying to hide his identity any longer. But as the scripture, going back to Joel, said, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Amen. That's a good thing. Can you say amen? I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And that is exactly what he is, the baptizer. Can you say amen? He is the filler. He is the fullness. He is the one who anoints us. It's his church. It is his spirit. We are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord, who is the Lord is the Spirit. We are changed because we see Him for who He is. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me this morning? God bless you all. And Lord, we just pray. Everyone in this building is a human being. Lord, we have, we have our humanity to deal with. Lord, but we do know this one thing. Those that have come to you, those, Lord, who have experienced being birthed again from above, Lord, we know this. We know this about you. You are all things, Lord. You are the heir of everything, the heir apparent of all things. Lord, everything is you. You have all power in heaven and in earth. Lord, and I pray this morning, Jesus that you just reveal that to each one of us. We've heard a word this morning, Lord, but you have to anoint it into each life. And we ask you to do that, Jesus. In your holy name, Lord.